what pro football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. It's draft season, baby. Mock drafts are here. I got to say, every time I see that new intro now, I, I crack a little bit of a smile, you know? Just JJ Watt. PG, PFF sucks. Have a nice day. And on we go. Um, anyway, we're going to break down two of the biggest mock drafts in the uh, ether today. Mel Kuyper Jr. and Daniel Jeremiah each have brand new mock drafts. 1.0, I believe, for each individual. So 1.0 mock draft season is out there. And in order to do that, I'm going to need to lean on the expertise of one Trevor Sikama. How is it going? Good, sir. It's going good. That's This is the first show that I've done since that new intro. So I also cracked the smile because it's the first time that I've really heard it right before we're about to do the show. Also, yeah, I'm very excited about today. DJ and Kuiper, two of the best in the industry, putting out their Mock Draft 1.0. And the only critique I have is, guys, I'm on like Mock 4.0 at this point. To quote Matthew McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street, you got to get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. Yeah. We're, we're at Mock 4.0. I think the next Mock Draft that I put out is 5.0 at this point. So other than that, it's really an exciting day. And, I'm, uh, you know, it's their, it's it's the first time that we get to break down their thoughts. So that in and of itself is going to be a uh, fun exercise for us here. Yeah. And there's some there's some really interesting ones having taken a peek at the uh, at the mock drafts. Um, it is fascinating. Like draft season gets earlier and earlier every single year. And somehow, no matter how much earlier I start in a given year, I feel like we get to January the 23rd. And I'm like, wow, how am I so far behind, even relative to last year? Like, we started, you and I, we were doing, you know, draft overview stuff back in September and October. I'm like, I got way ahead relative to a year ago, and now I'm sitting here going, why don't I know any of these people at the bottom (laughs) of, you know, the first or the second round? I need need work. So I sat down yesterday. I was watching a bunch of uh, wide receivers. I think that will be our first uh, position overview whenever myself and Steve do that on the show. But here is, uh, is mock draft season from other people. Now, one piece of, uh, of what a housekeeping, that's what they term it, right? It mm-hmm. is the final week to vote for us to win an award. The, we are a finalist for the best uh, American football podcast in the sports podcast awards. You can find the link either in the description of the show or it's still my pinned tweet at PFF underscore Sam. Apparently, it's now doable on your cell phone. It used to be a bit of a pain. You had to do it by desktop. Now it's easy to do by your mobile phone. So we would very much appreciate your vote. We will be bothering you every single day this week to go and vote for us to try and get us to win an award because I think that would be nice, you know? We could be an award-winning podcast, all of us. And by all of us, I mean myself, Steve, you, Mike in the booth over there, uh, Eli and his prize picks, Tyler from wherever he is slacking off right now, the audience, the people listening, and Brad Spielberg. Everybody deserves an award, one that we haven't just stolen from the rest of the PFF building. We would like to win it officially. So please go vote for us. Um, All right, time to get into the draft season, the big storylines. Now... Mel Kuyper and Daniel Jeremiah, they both started their mock draft in basically the same way. And I think it's going to be by far the most common way of starting a mock draft and the one that I agree with at the moment. Um, Caleb Williams, number one overall, 
to the Chicago Bears. No trades in this yet. I imagine that's just for <laughs> convenience at this point. Like, let's not let's not screw everything up right away in Mach 1.0 right. by having somebody trade up to number one. So the Bears take Caleb Williams. But then it gets interesting. Um, you know, we've done sort of top five, top ten mock drafts, and it goes Caleb Williams, number one. Then it goes Drake May, number two. But not if you are Mel Kuyper Jr., who went with Jaden Daniels, the LSU quarterback, at number two to the Washington Commanders, and not Drake May. So, first of all, I love it. Now, we'll get into whether or not I think this is the right decision or not, because we obviously have them flip-flopped here. Jeremiah went with Drake May. Kuyper went with Jaden Daniels at number two. But I love that we're talking about Daniels this high, because sometimes we'll go through this process, and I was just talking with Connor Rogers the other day about this, you know, we'll watch a player, we'll watch him throughout his college football season, and sometimes like they'll grade really, really well in our system. And I'll say to myself, man, I, I really like this guy. And then you look at Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, you know, these guys who are a little bit more plugged into the league, you know, these guys who have a lot of league contacts have been doing this for a very, very long time. They talk to GMs, they talk to head scouts, they talk to area scouts, like everybody. So you know that their mock drafts, as Jeremiah says, are done with his ears. These are all. This is all about what he is hearing, how high a player is going to go. And so when you when you take that into account and you still see a player like Jaden Daniels, who I like, who graded really well for us, was an elite rusher and an elite passer, get this kind of respect right off the bat, mock draft 1.0, to me, it makes sort of what we feel, dude, validated, what we've talked about over the last couple of months, that the NFL does believe in this guy to this caliber, that it wasn't crazy and overreacting to say that Jaden Daniels was becoming a top 10 overall selection. Now we're seeing him at number two and number three. So that's an even that's that's even more praise than what we thought might be the case for Daniels, who had an incredible year. Now, I would still be going with Drake May. You know, Drake May, I think just... If, if you want your quarterback to be more of a staple of your rushing attack, like if you really want your ground game to involve the quarterback, sure, Daniels gives you more of that ability. He had over 1,300 rushing yards, um, a lot of rushing touchdowns, a lot of rushing first downs, a lot of force missed tackles. He's just a more dynamic runner. But Drake May, when he comes to efficiency of running the football, being mobile, still being able to pick up first downs, May had just seven less first downs than Jaden Daniels did this past year. You know, the yardage was, wasn't even half, but still was efficient there. I think he had one less rushing touchdown than Jaden Daniels did. So I think people look at, at Drake May and they say like, oh, this is your prototypical in-the-pocket pocket passer. No, no, no. Drake May's got some mobility to him. So he still brings that to the table. And then when you factor in, okay, Drake May has now had two years back-to-back where he has led the country or been near the very top. I can't remember if he absolutely led the country um, this past year over Michael Penix, who had a couple of extra games, in big-time throws. So you know that this guy's got the arm, the mentality, the vision, the feel, understanding of defenses to really attack deep down the field. But he also consistently attacks over the middle of the field as well, more than Jaden Daniels does. Daniels is more of a to-the-sideline guy, which is fine. I don't want to like take that away from him, but... In order to really unlock your arm talent, unlock your potential, unlock those every throw in the field that you'll sometimes hear people say as a cliche, you have to be able to attack over the middle. And May did that more consistently than Jaden Daniels did this past year. So all of that to say, 
I'd still be going with Drake May. But I do love that we're even having this conversation because I think Daniels is a, a dynamic player who, man, if he if, if this continues in the NFL, if what we saw this past year is kind of the baseline of what he is going to be and who he is going to be as a player, this is a franchise-changing type of a player and somebody who could take you to a postseason. Yeah, I, I haven't seen enough of, of Jaden Daniels to really focus on him, but I'm, I'm really interested in taking it sort of almost from the other side of the equation and saying... I do think it might be time to have a conversation about whether Drake May is actually QB2 in this draft class. Like, I went back and started looking at May and Caleb Williams yesterday as well, um, and I think it really is, to me anyway, it's clear that Caleb Williams is QB1, and there's a significant gap between him and Drake May. And the more I watched Drake May, the more I was sort of wondering, okay, there's a lot to like here, but, I mean, is he actually as good as people are talking him up to be? And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to feel that like, with all the extra information and data and recent um, history of quarterbacks coming into the NFL, I almost feel like we know less now than we've ever known before about what actually makes a good quarterback at the next level, right? Now, like, so even just last year, let's assume for a moment that Bryce Young in his rookie year is who Bryce Young is going to be just for the sake of argument, right? It's a bad situation. Guys got fired off the back of it. Maybe he'll turn it around. Matthew Stafford did. Other guys have turned it around after terrible rookie years. Maybe Bryce Young ends up being a superstar anyway, right? And it was just a rough start. But let's assume for a moment he was a miss and C.J. Stroud instead was a hit. We kind of saw all of the all of these things were evident on their college tape. It's not like this is... Uh, you don't sort of go back and look at it and say, there's simply no way we could have seen this coming, right? There were a bunch of people that had Stroud as the number one QB, and most of those guys would have lent on that Georgia uh, playoff game and said, it's all there. Look at the tape. It's right there. That's who he is in the NFL right now. And you're like, yeah, it was, but that was a very small part of his overall body of work in college, and it seemed very unlikely that that's who he was going to be all of the time at the next level. And yet that appears to be what's happening, right? Right. Conversely, Bryce Young, it's like, okay, the situation was great in Alabama, but there were times where he, where the situation wasn't as great. He was under pressure. And you started to see some of this like inability to just master that situation and overcome it. And apparently he's become that guy all the time at the next level. I don't know what to do with that. Like, these were both within the ranges of outcomes for both of these guys, but both extremes have hit and in the opposite direction. So now when you're watching, you know, Drake May or Caleb Williams, and I'm sure Jaden Daniels when we get onto him, like, it, it's all there, right? It's like, Drake May could be a guy that just doesn't function because he's less accurate than I think people give him credit for. He's, you know, got some iffy tape in there. Alternatively, he could be like the next Justin Herbert, where he's got an amazing arm, he's got the cap- the capacity to make these incredible plays, and he's got way more athleticism than people sometimes give him credit for. And I'm like, I'm now sort of paralyzed between seeing this this sort of bell curve of potential outcomes for Drake May. I'm like, I don't know what to weigh. Like, should I go with gut feel and say, I don't know if he's as good as other people think he is, or just go, well... The, he, there's tape where he looks like Justin Herbert, so let's assume he is. Well, that's why the draft is fun, right? And maddening is the word you're looking for. Maddening, agonizing. I was about to say agonizing as well, <laughs> but it, it, it does make it fun because there are so many factors that are unique. You know, it, it, you get to this situation and it's like, man, okay, well, 
the small sample size ended up working out for this one player and it didn't for another. And it just kind of comes down to, it's always a little bit of a roll of the dice. And I think that uh, Chicago Bears fans, it's a big reason why some of them are planting the flag on Justin Fields because it's like, hey, you know, just because it's a new quarterback, it doesn't mean they're going to figure it out. If people talk about looking back to Zach Wilson when he was drafted two overall, people looked at his BYU tape. And obviously we know what Zach Wilson has been in the NFL to this point. But I think going back to what you talked about with Stroud and with Young, this is why, not that this is the, you know, answer key to the questions, because like I mentioned, nothing is. This is why you always try to lean on larger sample sizes. If a guy can give you larger sample sizes of consistent play, that is that that is the part that holds the most weight. Does it mean it's always going to be true? No, but that's what we do here at PFF, and, and you know this. We have differentiating data points or metrics that we will call stable and unstable where it's okay okay here's all of what this guy does but from our research you know guys who have played well in college or poorly in the nfl or poorly in college well in the nfl we have kind of come up with a what has been more translatable especially towards success and we kind of section them off into stable and unstable metrics and you know for drake may specifically this is now two years in a row where he has been able to string together a lot of big-time throws every single game in a lot of different situations all over the field. His turnover-worthy play percentage went down from last year to this year. Yeah, the completion percentage could certainly be a little bit better, but I think that's also a little bit in just some of what his demand of the offense is, how he is constantly looking deep, how he does not have as many layups, guaranteed throws, even with the adjusted completion percentage, which is in the 70s and I'm okay with. The larger sample size of Drake May over the last two years of him starting, which let's remember this too, true sophomore, true junior. It's not like this dude is a redshirt junior, redshirt senior doing this stuff. This is him still as a really young quarterback right off the bat showcasing a lot of arm talent. To me, that is valuable because it is a larger sample size. Now, I don't mean that to, to take away from Daniels because Daniels on the flip side, even though he hasn't been this elite quarterback, for multiple years in a row he has progressively gotten better as his college career has gone on the first time that he was a starter at arizona state he was just a rushing weapon and then when defenses would kind of come in on him he'd he'd uncork a deep ball but that was basically it there were no progressions there was no um you know passing proficiency there was nothing like that it was kind of that story at arizona state and he goes to lsu really takes to heart Honing in on those turnovers, making sure those turnovers are low. And then last, so not this past year, but the year before, he had one of the lowest turnover-worthy play rates in the country. But he really wasn't pushing the ball. The adjusted completion percentage was up. The average depth of target was way down. This year, he kind of gave you the best of both worlds. And so you don't want to take too much away from him. But it is a small sample size. It is one year. So it's it, Jaden Daniels is very similar to the conversation that we had with C.J. Stroud in that, like you mentioned, People looked at that Georgia game and said, what do we do with this? Is This is the last game that he played in college. It was against the best defense that he faced. It had the most on the line. It was the most he had ever been pressured. And he stepped up in all three categories better than he ever had. Is this the new C.J. Stroud or is this a one-off? And it turned out, like you said, to be a springboard into what he's been in the NFL. The question is, is this, is this the version of Jaden Daniels we're going to get in the NFL? Because if it is... Then you start having this conversation about, is he QB2? 
Yeah. And I think that's where we're at. And I think it's a really interesting conversation to have for both reasons, for the, the reasons you just outlined in, in Jaden Daniels, but also because I think there are some reasons to question Drake May. And there are definitely going to be people that have May as QB1 just stylistically and, and what he's able to do. But I'm also a little bit concerned about his ball placement. His overall accuracy isn't great relative to other quarterbacks. If you look at PFFs, uh, like ball location data, the the quarterback accuracy charting stuff, it's it's not in a great place. So I'm whether Kuiper is doing it just to start a conversation or not. I think it's a conversation we should be having, not just. Caleb Williams versus Drake May, number one, but also Drake May versus Daniels at QB2 versus mm-hmm. QB3. So I'm absolutely here for that. Um, bef- hold, hold on. I was just going to say, before before we moved on from that, I do think this goes back to Gerard Mayo, the head coach of the Patriots, kind of smiling during that interview when he, when he was like, uh, we're going to take a really talented player at uh, a position that really matters. And I think people looked at that interview and they're like, is, is he talking about Daniels? Because your Patriots are sitting there at number three. Right. So for everybody who was like, oh, they're taking a quarterback. To me, what went off in my head is, okay, it, I think he's talking about a quarterback. But if he, if he is, that means that they have already done their you know preliminary scouting. And they genuinely believe that Jaden Daniels is in that conversation with those other three. Because you, you don't say that talking about a quarterback if, you, if, if, if you're not in range to take one. So some people were like, oh, no, that means he must be talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. And it doesn't sound like he's talking about a wide receiver. So to me, that was another hint that the league might be just as high on Daniels as as, as these other two guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we get into Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, we need to talk about protecting your family with life insurance. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So after that uh, drama at the top of these mock drafts, both guys went to form and went with Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, as the fourth p- uh, player in this draft uh, to the Arizona Cardinals, which I think does make sense. I mean, he's going to be the first non-QB off the board, right? Should be. Yeah, I mean, it's unless somebody <clears throat> believes that Brock Bowers is, is going to become the next Travis Kelsey or Rob Gronkowski, which I, maybe, but if you don't believe that, then yeah, you're taking Marvin Harrison Jr. And I also think, even if it's not fair on Bowers, I feel like the Kyle Pitts experience has probably damaged that prospect in a lot of people's eyes. Like, maybe if Kyle Pitts hadn't happened, and I'm not saying this is Kyle Pitts' fault, but if we hadn't been through that already, you know, this guy's amazing. He's the most talented tight end in years, and we're going to turn him into the next guy. He was unstoppable. Maybe there would be a stronger case for Brock Bowers there. But now I think everyone's like, we just did this dance. We just talked about a guy that we've never seen come along before, 
and he's done not very much in an offense that has seems to have stymied him. So, but then you get into where it gets interesting again. The next pivot point in this draft, number five overall, the Los Angeles Chargers. Kuiper has Brock Bowers going to the Chargers. Jeremiah sticks with the receiver theme, but instead goes for wide receiver two in Roma Dunze from Washington. Yeah, I wouldn't be going with either of these players if I was doing the mock. Um, I'd be going with Malik Neighbors, the, the the wide receiver from LSU, who goes very shortly after this in, in both of these mocks. But, you know, to both of these cases, Bowers makes sense because you're probably losing Gerald Everett. Um, you're, you, you just want a another guaranteed stud of a receiver honestly in Brock Bowers and and if you're losing Gerald Everett you know you maybe you like the flexibility of being able to play him in line being able to play him as a wing back in the slot all of that um you're probably going to lose Mike Williams you probably got to cut him because he saves you like 18 19 million so you're probably moving on from him you're gonna need somebody other than Keenan Allen that's not Quentin Johnston going into next year. You, you certainly hope that Quentin Johnston is going to be better, but you can't just be like, yeah, 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 Quentin Johnston's got this. He's going to bounce back. You want him to bounce back and have somebody else. That's ideally what you would want. So Bowers makes sense. I mean, you talk about large sample sizes. Last three years in college football, true freshman, true sophomore, true junior, elite PFF grades every single time. I mean, we there's a case, and I know that this has been written over at PFF.com, like, there's a case for him. Is he the best college tight end of all time? And I kind of think he is. Like, he, there are guys obviously that have more stats than him who either played a little bit longer. But when you just talk about overall talent level, what this dude is over the middle and for yards after catch um, is pretty rare. So I understand why Kuiper is, is leaning this because even when I go through mock draft exercises, I love Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers is probably going to end up being a top five player for me off of film grades in this class. And I don't know where to put him in mocks in the top 15. I, like I get to 12, 13, 14, and I'm just like, I got to get this dude off the board. He's way too talented. But what do you do with a tight end at that point? So that, you know, he's going to be a very, very intriguing piece where I think his range starts here at number five. I don't know if he ultimately goes number five, but then on the flip side, Romo Dunze, I, I mentioned Mike Williams probably gone. You maybe want to replace him with that bigger sideline contested catch type of receiver. And not only is Romo Dunze that that he showed this past year, he also gives you more from an athletic profile as well. So you got flexibility to use him more as uh, he doesn't have to just be this sideline receiver for you. You can use him in a variety of ways. So I could I like the 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 idea for both of these guys, but I'd still be going with neighbors. Yeah, Neighbors goes number six in both these mock drafts, the very next pick uh, to the New York Giants. I think it's worth sort of talking, uh, just running through the, all three of them quickly. Like, it's fascinating because a team like the Chargers and then the Giants, um, they're like dealing with this, okay, we need receiver help. We've kind of got an opening for any of them. I mean, the Giants obviously have um, Darren Waller, but they could go in a different direction, a tight end, if they felt the guy was good enough. So you're basically left, well, what do we want? All these all these guys are elite. What do we actually want from the position? And I think you've got, if you are going to take Brock Bowers, you need to be running an offense or be capable of running an offense where you're convinced that guy can have a Travis Kelsey kind of role. Because, Correct. You know, yes. that, and that, that's not every offense in the NFL. In fact, it's quite a, a low number of offenses in the NFL. So I think he can be worth that kind of pick. But everybody has need for an elite X receiver, which is what Roma Dunze is capable of being, right? That fits every single offense in the NFL as your primary target guy. So every team is is going to want or is going to have him 
valued at a top five kind of pick overall if they think he's that guy. And the neighbors is interesting because I went back and, and watched him again after, you know, we did those overviews earlier in the season. And I still had the same concerns from his tape that I did then. I think Odunze is wide receiver two for me and neighbors would be three at the moment. Um, I, he's an amazing talent. Like his movement skills are sick. His ability to run after the catch is amazing. Like he's got a lot of high-end skills. He just lets people into his pants way too often. He doesn't use his hands to defeat press coverage. He tries to like shrug out of it and like mm-hmm. get around it. You, I mean, you can't do that in the NFL. They're too good. You might win a few times, but at the moment, I would have fairly major concerns unless he learns how to do that, that that's going to be holding him back early in his NFL career. Now, you say, look, it's, it's not a big thing. We can teach a guy how to do that. Um, but my point would be Odunze is already good at that. And he's still, you know, an athletic freak and maybe better at the catch point. So I'm going to go with that guy who I've seen do it versus the other guy who maybe can do it. Yeah, I I just think kind of what you're talking about there, the reliance on those, you know, speed dips um, <laughs> instead of really using his hands to fight off press coverage and early contact in the contact window. Like all that stuff is really teachable. And I, I think Neighbors is going to be one of the youngest in this draft class, I believe neighbors is only going to be 20 years old on draft night. So it's like this dude's still a really young football player too. I just, right. I can't get over. You mentioned that he's got sick movement skills. I just can't get over that, man. I just, it, it, there are very few players that I have watched both in the league and just coming through the NFL draft that have the ability to change direction while also either maintaining or accelerating speed the way that he does. And if you are able to do that at the level that he does, you are just a separation artist. And when we talk about things that translate in the NFL, especially playing wide receiver, the aspect of playing the position that translates the most is, do you know how to get open? And you know, some, that, that can come in a variety of ways. Some guys are really great at, right? Like Puka Nakua, right? Like Puka Nakua gets open, not because he's a crazy athlete, but because he understands route concepts. He understands leverage. He understands defenses, soft spots, like all this kinds of stuff. But the ones that can separate off of just athleticism alone are rare. And I think worth picking very, very high, especially if you do your research on them and you know that they've got the drive to be great, the drive to be better. And if that's the case with Malik Neighbors, he he's wide receiver too. Last two picks in this top eight are the same for both mocks. Each team went with Joe Alt, the Notre Dame uh, offensive tackle, to the Tennessee Titans. This, I think, would be an absolute dream scenario, by the way, for the Titans that mm-hmm. picks one through six are all wide receivers slash tight ends and quarterbacks, and they get their pick of the offensive lineman, which in this case, both uh, mock drafters have gone for Joe Alt. And then Atlanta, uh, number eight overall, both mocks have them taken Dallas Turner, the edge rusher from Alabama. Um, I think the the Joe Alt one is a slam dunk to me. It's maybe you might Take Fashionu if you preferred him and his pass protection skills, but you're going to get whatever your choice of the best offensive lineman in the draft is at number seven in this scenario. Turner to Atlanta is more interesting to me. Um, again, he's another one where uh, I didn't love his initial tape. Like I, he's got some amazing physical gifts, but I, I didn't love his overall. Like I don't know that he has that much of a game plan for rushing the passer relative to some other guys. Uh, and and. 
I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always reticent when you have to teach a guy quite a lot when you're drafting him really high up, you know? And that, I think, no. is part of the equation with a guy like Dallas Herner. Sure, that makes sense. I, I, I do understand the sentiment. By the way, I, this, these are the two picks that I would make, too. I, I wouldn't change these. I've got Joe Alt as offensive tackle one. I've got Dallas Turner as edge one. And I have Dallas Turner as edge one just above Jared Verse. And the reason why I ended up going with, with, um, with Turner is because I think the size, speed, length, flexibility combination that he has is best in the class. There's a lot of edge rushers. I think that Layatu Latu from UCLA is just a technician with his hands. knows knows what to do in pass pass rushing. knows how to get off blocks. knows how to hand fight to get clean. All that good stuff. He's wonderful with hand work. Jared Verse, powerful as hell, man. I mean, he will just straight go through your chest uh, every single play if you let him. And he honestly tries to do it. So like the power profile, I love. But there aren't a lot of players in this class that can bend, that have the ankle flexibility. And this, and, and this, honestly, the speed to match to get up the arc and then corner the way that Dallas Turner does. And you mentioned his pass rush profile is still coming along. If you go watch the 2022 tape when he was a true sophomore, you know Will Anderson's there, Chris Braswell's there as well. He basically only used either speed to power, trying to burst off the edge and try to push people back into the quarterback, or the long arm. That was basically his his entire pass rush profile. Yeah. Didn't really have much outside of that. He was just trying to out athlete people. This past year. One, I think he's gained weight. I feel like he's gained almost 10 pounds. I think he's around 250 now instead of 240. So you see that added strength in his power profile, even when he's doing speed to power moves. He still bases what he does off of that long arm. But now I have noticed he has some counters to that long arm. He has some plans where, okay, first couple of times, I'm going to get right into you and I'm going to use length. And then these other times when when the offensive lineman tries to flash their hands earlier, tries to overcommit to try to uh, make up for that length, that's when you're able to dip right underneath them, or that's when you're able to swim swim the hands away or club the hands away. So I don't see that as much, but I have seen progression there. And Dallas Turner, again, a young player in this draft class, it makes me feel as though, man, that progression can continue in the NFL, and he can continue to add some of those pass moves. I agree with you. You'd like to see a little bit more, but again, the natural gifts that he has, that's the stuff that's not teachable. I can teach you how to rush the passer with different moves and counters and, and setups like that. It Like, um, Latu's uh, draft stock is going to depend a lot on being medically cleared by everybody. But, you know, if, if my medical staff came to me and said, I have no problem with this guy, he's good to go, I would absolutely be drafting the UCLA edge rusher Latu over Dallas Turner at this point. Um, I think he's clearly got better tape at this stage and the only concern for me would be medical stuff anyway before we get into the rest of this draft this podcast is brought to you by price picks the largest daily fantasy sports platform in north america the easiest and most exciting way to play dfs it's just you or eli against the numbers pick more pick less it's that easy instead of battling thousands of other players including pros and sharks you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in so What does Eli have for this week, the championship games? Well, he's gone on vibes again because that was the thing that worked out, not actual (laughs) research and knowledge. So his vibes pick this week, Christian McCaffrey going for more than 0.5 rushing yards. I feel like that one's safe. Uh, Travis Kelsey going for more than 39.5 receiving yards. Again, feels like that one's pretty good. Amonra St. Brown going for more then 59 and a half receiving yards for the Detroit Lions. And then Gus Edwards, Gus the bus, going for more than 37 and a half 
rushing yards for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you can also play alongside either Eli or some of Price Pick's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find them uh, into the community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Price Picks also, of course, offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you've got a player that exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. Price Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to pricepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Pricepicks.com forward slash PFFNFL using code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, let's go to the uh, the second half of the top half of this these mock drafts. So picks 9 through 16. Um, this is where we start to get some change because we've already had a couple of differences. So Mel Kuyper's pick, number 9, the Chicago Bears' second pick. He's gone with Rome Odunze. Wow, what a combination that would be for the Chicago Bears. Daniel Jeremiah has gone with Jared Verse, the edge rusher from Florida State that you talked about. Uh, let's just focus one second on this before we get into some of the other picks. Man, that would be a haul for Chicago, getting Adunze and Caleb Williams. Yeah, this is the dream for them, right? I think they want to revamp, revamp that offense. You're losing Darnell Mooney. Um, obviously, the Chase Claypool experiment failed. Um, you need more than just DJ Moore there. And I think that when you throw in Cole Komet as you know that third option then all of a sudden you're talking about a pretty dang good passing attack people are like oh no Komet he's a really good tight end he's he's reliable all that kind of stuff but I probably don't want to have to rely on him as more than option three like ideal option three and when you have DJ Moore when you have Romo Dunze when you have Caleb Williams and then Komet comes in as that uh as that third best option unless I'm forgetting somebody which I don't think I am then I think that that's uh that that's the ideal draft hall in the top 10 for the Bears Jared Verse at number nine, I don't love as much for them. Um, I don't know that this is the best edge rusher class in the world, and that just feels rich for him. Um, number 10. Yeah, you're hating. You're hating on the edge class this morning. Yeah, not just you're this hating. morning. It's it's a long, long standing hate for the edge rush class. <laughs> I, I would have. Uh, actually, okay, keep talking. I'm going to make a statement in a second when I look something up. Okay. Uh, number 10, the New York Jets, both getting an offensive lineman in, in this uh, scenario. The Jets in Kuyper's mock get Olufashnu from Penn State. And in Jeremiah's mock, they get your guy, uh, Fuaga, the Oregon State mm-hmm. right tackle. I mean, offensive lineman for the Jets, it's another one of those ones like Tennessee. It's an absolute slam dunk. I think if the Jets could get Fashnu, that would be amazing value at 10. But Fuaga, I, I love that dude's tape, so I'm kind of okay with him going anywhere just because just because I like the guy as a player. It feels rich at number 10, but I'm here for it. No, it doesn't. No. Okay. So uh, when I saw this, when I, when I read Jeremiah's mock and I saw Talise Fuaga at number 10, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I did, I, did a, I did a little fist pump because going back to kind of what we were talking about, Jaden Daniels, you watch guys tape, you look at him in PFF grades, uh, you go, man, I really like this player. And in years past, there have been times where that has been the case. And then you get some of these mock drafts from people that are a little bit more plugged into the league. Like you could, like you know that they're making their selections kind of based on the conversations that they've had, what they're hearing from the people that are actually going to be influencing what the picks will be on draft weekend. And they're 
lower. They're, they're either not first round picks or whatever. And you get kind of bummed out about it because you go, man, I love this guy's tape. I wish the league was higher on him. For Fuaga, I I noticed him. I can't remember who who got him on my radar first. If it was somebody here at PFF or maybe it was somebody who hit me up on social media. But when I watched his tape for the first time in October, I was like, this dude's a top 20 pick. Like, what am I missing here? Power profile, not going to be scared of NFL strength. He's going to be able to dictate all sorts of matchups one-on-one on the edge. Yeah, sure, okay. The, the the feet are a little bit slower than it is for other players, but I think he covers plenty of ground. I think he can stand his ground really well. Obviously a great um, run blocker. He plays the, the position with an attitude that you absolutely want to be an ass kicker in the league. Like, all this, he checks so many boxes. I was like, this dude's a top 20 player. And I was, just, I was very happy to see that in... Certainly, DJ's mock. I think he's in the twenties in Kuiper's mock. That at least he is known as this first round player and kind of renowned like this. So uh, I love the uh, I love the Talise Fuaga pick. By the way, what I was looking up was I would have taken Dallas Turner this year's Dallas Turner and this year's Jared Verse mm-hmm. over any edge rusher that's not Will Anderson last year. Would have taken him easily. Would have taken him over Tyree Wilson. Easily would have taken him over Lucas Van Ness. Would have taken him over Will McDonald. Um, scrolling here. Would have taken him over Miles Murphy easy. Would have taken him over Felix Anudiki Ozama. And those are the those are the first round edge rushers. So to me, yeah, sure, this class doesn't have like a Miles Garrett or a Nick Bosa, but I'd easily be taking these two guys and a lot too as well, honestly. Those three edge rushers from this year. I'd take over any edge rusher that wasn't Will Anderson last year. I don't want to uh, completely derail the podcast, uh, but how do you... So you look that up, which presumably means you have some form of like actual codified rigid grading number slash scale at the end of your process, right? How does that work? So, okay, you want to... So Give me the, the Cliff the Notes version. I don't, like I said, I don't want to spend 15 minutes analyzing your process, but like what, how you have tape, you have PFF data, you mm-hmm. throw it all in the hopper. What do we end up with? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of a lot of what I do is based off of what I see on film, and a lot of the PFF data allows me to look in a certain area like okay a pass rush win win rate a run stop percentage um normally allows me to kind of like focus in a certain area of film because whether it's whether it's a grade whether it's statistic or or a metric whatever even even like combine stats like length size uh, 10 yard splits uh vertical jump three cone drills like all of these things you have to find all of them on film like if he could run a quick three cone, okay, I've got to see the ankle flexibility. Where can you corner? Can you can you stop on a dime? Do you have that ability? Is that in your tape? Because if it's not, I don't really know what to do with you. Sure, you tested well without pads on because you trained well for the combine, but unless you can put it on the football field, I don't know what to do with you. Explosive scores like um, ten yard splits, forty yard dashes, a little bit, but that's a little different. But specifically, ten yard splits, the vertical jump, the broad jump. Like if you're able to do that, do you have an explosive first step? If you're an edge rusher, do we see that? If you're a wide receiver, do we see that? If you're a running back, do we see that? So a lot of those extra things I will use as lenses, if you will, um, or files, more detailed files to try to find these things in the tape. Mainly what I bet on is what I see on film. And I've got different traits for edge rushers that I'm judging. Now, all of these traits are scaled a little bit differently because I believe that they are some are more important than others when it comes to, okay, this is sort of a non-negotiable. Like if you don't have this, you're, you have a much less chance of succeeding at the NFL level. But 
some categories that have for edge rushers. First step, flexibility, hand usage, pass rush moves, counters, play strength, uh, lateral ability and change of direction, length, like how much do you have and do you use it well enough? Competitive toughness is a big one. Tackling, run stopping. So these are categories of film grades that I fill out for all of these players. And I have that as my main metric. And then I will use a lot of PFF data and a lot of combine scores, height, weight percentiles, things like that to marry essentially a scouting report of strengths and weaknesses that I write for these guys. And I, where I put them in a big board, I base a lot off of the film grade because that's what's by far the most important for me. But then sometimes, you know, if the film grade is like, okay, it's this, but he's almost there and there's some things that are a little bit teachable. Sometimes I have a little bit of wiggle room with them going up or down, but essentially that is a treetops view of how I go about the scouting process. Cool. Um, okay, we're going to start skipping over some picks and, and sort of cherry picking as we go here. Number one that I, you took a little bit of a victory lap on for I got number 10. I would like to take a mini victory lap for Kuiper putting Nate Wiggins as cornerback one from Clemson. That is the correct cornerback one. I, I applaud Mr. Mel Kuiper Jr. I believe <laughs> that he's got it nailed there with Nate Wiggins as the best corner in this draft. I think Jeremiah has Wiggins as like CB5. Crazy man. At 30. Can't have it. Nuts. Yeah, I have. So um, Connor and I for NFL Stock Exchange, we just did the corner episode and both Connor and I had the same CB1 and it was actually Cooper DeGene from Iowa. And we both had Nate Wiggins as CB2. Okay. So we are right there in that conversation. I have no problem with um, with Wiggins being in this range, you know, getting picked at this point. Vikings, I think you're... Yeah, I mean, anything outside of the top 10 is realistic. Vikings are obviously early given some of the needs that they have and some of the resources that they put into secondary. But I think this is the range for where you're talking about the first corner coming off the board. And so if that's Wiggins for you or for anybody else out there, I can't push too hard on it. It's interesting that both guys have uh, Terry and Arnold, the Alabama corner, 12 in, in Jeremiah's case, 13 in Kuiper's case. He was one of the guys that I didn't that I didn't look at when we did our like early, early season um, mm -hmm. overview of the corner. So I'm curious to dive into his tape um, and see, because he's firing up draft boards. Like everybody has that guy ranked really highly now. Lee's um, going to love him. He's he's young. He was just a redshirt sophomore. I mean, crazy athletic skills. If, if you have Nate Wiggins as CB1, you're probably going to have Arnold CB2, if not CB1, like, right. right there with him. It's, it's basically, they're sort of the same prospect, except I think, Arnold's got much more, I don't want to say much more, but he's bigger. He yeah. brings a little bit more strength mm -hmm. to the game. Um, it wouldn't be hard to be bigger than Wiggins. <laughs> right, that's why. But like Wiggins is listed at 180. What's, what's Arnold listed at? Yeah. Hold on, I'm going to find, find this really quick. Um, Arnold is listed at uh, 196. Okay. And Wiggins is listed at 185. Right. So, you know, you're talking about at least 10 pounds. Right. Wiggins is listed at two inches taller than Arnold, but uh, Arnold had some crazy ball production this year because a lot of people did not want to throw Kool-Aid McKintree's way. So they're just like, oh, we'll just, we'll attack this redshirt sophomore. And it's like, ha, that wasn't smart either. <laughs> like, that wasn't going to work for you. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll attack deep. Nope, Caleb Downs is right there. So that's stupid too. So. Yeah, it was pretty crazy secondary for uh, for Alabama this year. So Kuiper has uh, Denver taking Latu, the uh, the edge rusher from UCLA that we talked about before. <clears throat> then a couple of picks that get really interesting to me. DJ Jeremiah has Bo Nix going number fourteen yeah, baby. to the New Orleans Saints. So 
that's it's QB four, but it's in the top half of the draft. That I think is a pretty fascinating. There's a lot of people. It seems like now there's an arms race to be highest on Bo Nix. Everybody that I see is loves this guy, and I can only conclude that that means he's going to go high. Yeah, he should. He should. He's graded out super well for us over the last two years. He's really cut down on the turnovers, can play well under pressure, played really well under pressure this year. Even when you take out all the screens and the short passes that people like to talk about all the time, Knicks has plus ability in the run game. So you can pick up those first downs. He can get those scramble yards for you. Uh, and he's got a legit NFL arm. He really does. So am I taking him in the same breath as as some of those guys that we talked about uh, in the top three? No, but would I feel comfortable taking Bo Nix in the top 15 for a team that needed a long-term answer at quarterback? Yes. And all, all the, all the short stuff and the low average depth of target and all that kind of stuff. Like it's only a problem in two ways. And if you can answer both those things, it's kind of irrelevant. Like number one, how much is it artificially inflating sort of all of his overall numbers? And if you're just looking at the overall data points and saying, well, he's really good compared to these other guys. If you're not factoring in, the offense and how that's affecting those numbers, you're being led astray. If you are, then that's kind of irrelevant, right? And then the other thing is, is it the offense or is it part of his makeup? Is he sort of pathologically on the Alex Smith scale of conservatism and he just doesn't take as many deep shots as you would want him to or isn't as aggressive as you want him to be with the football? Again, if you're convinced that it isn't an inherent flaw in his game, like the guy just is just not aggressive enough and we need that, um, then it's, it's also not a problem, right? It's just, it's just the dynamic of play within that offense. So if you're happy that neither of those things is the case, that, it, that it's not a problem, then it's basically just a descriptor of the offense he was in at college, which is, I mean, kind of irrelevant to how he's going to play at the next level. Yep. Agree. Now, the next pick that I find fascinating in, in one of these mocks, um, Kuiper, number 15, Keon Coleman to the Indianapolis Colts, Florida State wide receiver. I, he is an enigma. I do not know what to do with Keon Coleman. If Keon Coleman takes the same approach into the NFL that he played the last two years with at Michigan State and at Florida State, it will be hard for him to be consistently good at the NFL level. It really will be. It's 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 just a difficult ask trying to have somebody only win off of contested catches because his separation scores are bad. And he is a really good athlete. He's going to test extremely well at the combine. They've got him at punt return mm. over the last two years. Like, this dude can run. He's a yards-after-catch guy. He's a good athlete. So is Florida State simply telling him to do this? Hey, we want you to go to a spot, box this dude out, and try to be a contested catch player. Maybe they are. I think that's the big question because, again, if this is who Keon Coleman is, for as much as he has had some sick contested catches this year, I'm not prioritizing that kind of a player, certainly not in the top 15, probably not even in the first round. I'm probably taking him in the second round. But if you tell me that Florida State's been limiting what he's been able to do, his route tree, how he approaches the position, all that stuff, then once we see him blow up the combine, you go, Mm. all right, dude's athletic enough. We got to take him in the first round anyways and kind of figure it out later. Yeah, I 
so I, I messaged you this last night. I, I'm feeling a bit about Keon Coleman this year the way I felt about Rasheed Rice last year, which is confused more than anything else. <laughs> His tape just right. didn't make sense to me. Like, and we had these conversations a year ago about Rasheed Rice. Like, it feels like he should be a different player than the one you're seeing on tape all the time. And I'm kind of getting the same impression from Keon Coleman, albeit in a slightly different way. But I found myself last year, when you watch Rasheed Rice's tape, I'm like, I really like this guy, but 75% of all the notes I'm writing down are negatives, right? And that those things don't tally usually. It's like, and I'm, I'm same thing with Keon Coleman. Like, I really like his tape, and yet I'm writing down a whole bunch of negatives across well, the like board. Hi, you like him as a player. Yeah. You don't like, but you don't like his tape. Correct. Okay. That's a, probably a better way of saying it. Um, and you see there's a bunch of these uh, graphics, charts out there on Twitter at the moment where they've sort of profiled Keon Coleman against a bunch of the other top wide receiver prospects, right? And they're color-coded, conditional formatting, and, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is green at everything, and Roma Dunze is green at most things, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then you get to Keon Coleman, and it's a bunch of bad stats. And, and he does, just doesn't stack up against any of these other guys. Um, but when you go back to his Michigan State, season it does it looks a lot better so I do think that there's a lot of him being hampered by the Florida State offense in there I also think you know you you've talked about uh his separation and that everything is a contested catch and those kinds of things one of the I mean some of the few negatives that I or positives rather that I did write about him is I actually think he can separate well he just doesn't a lot of the time like he's got he moves way more sharply than you expect for a guy of his size. Like, he's got sudden movement skills. Um, he also varies his route running and tempo, and he's got a lot of plays where he just makes a last-second kind of sudden jump away from a guy into a gap and gets separation that way. I just think whether it's Florida State or whether it's him wanting to play that way in a little bit the same way that Rice did a year ago, he seems to be comfortable with that contact and contested catch thing and like no look stop doing that get the separation and then stop trying to make contested catches just go and make the play Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's him or if that's the offense or if it's a mix of both or if it's fixable like again these are similar conversations to Rasheed Rice but I do kind of love the guy like I, I watch him play and I'm like I feel like there's an absolute baller in here somewhere we just need to polish it up a bit well, that's why we were really high on him to start the year. Yeah, uh, I watched what he was able to do at Michigan State, and I was like, "This dude's a top five wide receiver in, in a loaded wide receiver class." Like, I was like, "Keon Coleman is in that conversation with those other guys." At the beginning of the season, I was saying, and um, the tape, yeah, the tape that he put out there this year. Again, I don't know if it's him. I don't know if it's Florida State, but it just showed somebody who, if he's going to try to do that at the NFL level, it's just a tough living. It really is when you when you when you don't when you don't allow yourself to separate the way that you probably could. I mean, in this case, he is wide receiver four uh, in Kuyper's mock. I think there's like there's absolutely a case that he could be wide receiver four in, in this draft. There's also like a case that he could be outside the top ten. Like it's just he's I, evaluations on him are going to be all over the place, I think. I agree. As, La- yeah, you, you, we see him out of first-round mock drafts for some, and we yeah. see him yeah, in the top 15 for others. Uh, last really interesting pick, I think, in the top half of this of these mock drafts. Um, Kuiper has the Seattle Seahawks drafting quarterback J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Yeah. Um, 
16 for McCarthy's too rich for me. Um, but I, I, I suppose I get it. You know, you're drafting him to a situation where he doesn't have to start right away. Um, you imagine Gino's going to be there at least for 2024. So you have that in your pocket. Uh, JJ is going to be, uh, again, one of the younger players in this draft class. Uh, you love the arm talent. I just still, even with the national championship run, I think he got a little bit better this year from what I wanted to see from him in summer, but it's not like he took this massive leap. So I think still, if you take JJ McCarthy and plop him down into the NFL right now, his rookie season, he struggles. It's a, it's, it's, it's a different level of consistency and success than what we were able to see with him playing behind an offense that was, I think more talented than basically everybody that they went up against. So I think he's a talented player, but the nuances of playing the position, feel for pressure, consistently climb in the pocket, get into certain progressions ahead of time, like when you really need to, instead of just like a tick late, like all that stuff, um, still needs to be better from him, in my opinion, for him to get the most out of what people are lauding, which is this this great arm talent at the NFL level. Now, if you want to go and do your own mock draft and draft along with us, or in fact, send us your mock drafts if you've done something particularly cool, you can go to the best mock draft simulator in the business, pff.com forward slash mock. And we have a promo code running right now, so you can get 30% off any annual PFF subscription. Uh, 30MDS, 30MDS is the promo code that gets you 30% off. Draft your favorite team, or in fact, all 32 teams using the PFF mock draft simulator. Um, it is the best thing out there and you can spend the next several months revamping your NFL team using PFF's mock draft sim. So go ahead to do that right now. You can email us in any uh, interesting mocks you created, nflpodcast at pff.com. All right, getting into the second half of these mock drafts. Uh, picks number 17 through, what are we, 24. Uh Let's uh, let's fire these up, and then you can you can identify a couple of picks here that you uh, you want to talk about. All right. So from DJ's mock, uh, I, I like Latu Latu going to the Rams a lot. Um, I was a big Byron Young guy coming out of last year's draft. Not that I should he should have been a first round pick or anything, but I'm glad that he got an opportunity to play. I think he's really explosive. Having him on one side, Latu Latu on the other, makes a ton of sense. Um, DJ going with Amarius Mims for the Steelers. It's fine. I think it's a secondary option. Like I, I love the idea of the Steelers getting a corner, but DJ had a lot of corners go off the board already. So if that's the case, it gives you a good look at a scenario of, okay, what do the Steelers do? Said he has them going off into tackle there. Um, oh man, Eagles for Kuiper's mock going with Talize Fuaga. Yeah. Getting him at 22, I think is good value, but Ooh. Jordan Mailata on one side, Talize Fuaga on the other. If, uh, if Lane Johnson is uh, is hanging it up anytime soon i mean like that's a that's a fierce offensive tackle combo so With. i do like that i think it's funny that they landed on the same exact offensive lineman for the cowboys at 24 jordan morgan this is a player that i do like i think he's got tackle guard flexibility i wonder if he has the length to really be able to stick at offensive tackle he's got good tape at offensive tackle but that's going up against lesser competition i think that, that, that he was going up against over the last two years so he might be an interior guy but i i still like him no matter what i think he's a first round caliber player um oh and then the other one the Bengals, all the way at the top they match on this one as well jc latham from alabama uh, this one would be a perfect selection for them if you ask me jonah williams free agent could be out of there getting jc latham who is a supersized right tackle prospect um 
he's almost 360 pounds. Uh, I think he's like six foot six, 360 pounds. I mean, he's just a huge dude. Um, people, you know, he gets, a, I think he gets a bad rap because in that Michigan game in the college football playoff, he was the one who got blown up on the right side of the line of scrimmage. who got pushed right back into um, Jalen Milrow's lap. And I think people look at that and be like, I'm supposed to draft that guy in the first round. I went back and I watched the rest of his game. It was a very impactful game from him, like in a good way. I mean, he is just one-on-one taking edge rushers out. Uh, they're running behind him with key runs, whether it was QB design or whether it was handoffs, like, He's getting to the second level and making blocks on linebackers. Like he, he's good. He's a good football player. He just had a really bad play for whatever reason on that play. The ball was hiked, and I think there's there's a moment of hesitation from him where he he turns his head like for half a second to look inside at what the defensive lineman is doing to his left, and by the time he got back around, the edge rusher was just already in his chest and was able to push him back those two feet. And I actually thought he did a nice job of kind of like catching him. I think he loses his balance at the end, but it was kind of too late at that point. It was like that that second of sep- of of, um, of hesitation because he wondered if that the guy to his left was going to be able to shoot the gap between him and the guard. So he kind of like looked to make sure that that wasn't going to be the case, which it's hard to blame him for because if that guy gets through that gap, plays over anyways. So he's kind of taking that who has the quicker path to the quarterback. That's why he looked over there for a second and it was just a really bad play. So I wanted to make sure everybody out there does not totally kill him for that one play. (laughs) He's still a good player. He's still a first round player. And I do like him for the Bengals. It's interesting. There's a lot of uh, sort of synergy in these, in this section of the draft, at least in terms of positions, if not necessarily the same player, Uh, both, both mocks have a cornerback for the Jags, Cooper DeGene versus uh, Mitchell. Uh, as you said, J.C. Latham, both mocks have him going to the Bengals at 18. Both mocks have the Rams taking an edge rusher. In Kuyper's case, it's Verse. In uh, DJ's case, it's Latu. Um, uh, where else have we got? We got both mocks taking an offensive tackle for the Eagles. I agree with you. I think the idea of Mylata on one side and Fuaga on the other side with Stoutman coaching them both up, that just feels too good not to see. We need to make that happen. I don't care how it works, but let's just do that now. Let's yes. let's pencil that one in now, and then the rest of the first round can fit around it once we get to April. But that needs to happen right now. Uh, DJ has the Eagles going with uh, Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma instead. Uh, and then the final one, as you said, the Cowboys, each of them settled on Jordan Morgan at, uh, at that spot as well. So it's kind of interesting, even deep into the first round, we're pretty on the same page in terms of needs and or the players that are uh, available at those spots. Yeah, it's these mocks didn't differ as much as I thought they were going to for 1.0 mocks. But I think it's because, yeah, like you said, one, people get into draft season a little bit earlier. Um, And two, yeah, I I think that there, this draft sets up really well for teams in the back half of the first round to, find some players that make a ton of sense for them. There's a few positions or players at least where they do, you know, differ fairly wildly. If we fire up the, uh, the final eight picks of this mock, um, you know, we, we talked about before uh, Kuiper had uh, Nate Wiggins going number 11, I think to the Minnesota mm-hmm. Vikings, DJ's got him at number 30 to the Detroit mm-hmm. lions. Uh, so that's a, a fairly wild swing. DJ, I don't think has uh, Keon Coleman in the first round at all. As we said, uh, Kuiper had him, what is it? 14, 15. 
Um, 15 if it was to the to the Colts. Colts. Yeah. So they do differ on, on a couple of players in fairly significant ways. It's just that everything else seems to be fitting fairly neatly into place. Who else jumps out from this uh, this final eight picks? Um, Packers going offensive lineman in both of these situations instead of a secondary player. Yeah. When oh, for both of these guys, I think there were a lot of secondary players on the board. You know, like uh, for the Packers. Cooper DeGene was still on the board for Jeremiah's mock, and he went with an offensive lineman instead. You know, for Kuypers, Queen on Mitchell, and it's Rake Sherrod Jr. Like, those guys are still on the board. Uh, he had them going with uh, Kingsley Suomatia, uh from from BYU. So offensive lineman, no matter what, for the Packers there for both, was uh, that really jumped out to me. The rest of them make sense. I was very surprised that Jeremiah went with an interior defensive lineman for the Bills instead of a wide receiver. Um, Bills... The Bills need a wide receiver, so you know if they address it in free agency, then that's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 tough to have them taking a defensive tackle. Seeing what we saw the other night, where it's like, man, there's basically anybody other than Stephon Diggs, and even Stephon Diggs had that one deep pass that he dropped. Like it, it's just it's got to be a better group next year if they uh, if they want to be serious about getting further and getting to a Super Bowl. So that was one that definitely stood out to me. The rest of them, I don't know, they it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think Enter Shrakeshaw Jr. is a, a great fit for the Ravens as Kuiper has there. Um, Cardinals going Tyler Guyton for Kuiper's mock is interesting. I, you know, I guess you're playing him at right tackle. You're swinging Paris Johnson Jr. back over to left tackle, which you can do. That's fine. Um, but I just I had not thought of that that combination before. Bucks. So so the Buccaneers going Chop Robinson in, in Kuiper's mock and Shrakeshaw Jr. In Jeremiah's mock, I'm not as high on Chop Robinson as this. I think he's more of a day two player. I think he's a really great athlete, but I still think he's got um, a lot to figure out to win with more than just athleticism at the next level, even though his athleticism is top tier elite. Uh, But I do think edge rusher is Tampa's top need. I really do. So I understand why Kuiper went that direction. By the way, the Cardinals ending up with the 27th overall pick out of that trade from a year ago is fairly wild when you consider what what, what the expectations there were. There is no way the Cardinals thought that that was going to be the case. I don't think no, anybody I, would they, have expected they, that to be the case. They probably thought they were getting pick 18 at the highest. Right. At the highest. And is 27. And from Houston's point of view, like I don't imagine they could possibly have imagined that they were giving up pick number 27 instead of, you know, something in the middle of the first round in optimistic terms. I mean, we thought they might have two top 10 draft picks when that when that happened. And instead, they end up with uh, pick number 27. The other thing I find slightly funny is that they have different order at the bottom of the draft. Like they don't have the same, they don't have the same mock oh, draft yeah. order. Yeah, one of them has the 49ers, yeah. and then the other one has, uh, yeah, like you said, the Ravens. Um, I want to give you a, an opportunity to talk a little bit about Cooper DeGene, um, because he's going to be a fascinating topic in this draft. The the opinions on him are kind of all over the place, but I mean, the reason it's it's going to be a topic is obvious, right? He's going to be the first white cornerback to come along who is a (laughs) high-end prospect in decades right like Jason Seahorn has always talked about as this last guy the last white starting cornerback in the NFL and Jason Seahorn retired like the end of or you know the early 2000s right Jason Seahorn was only a second round pick so if DeGene goes in the first round I don't know how far we have to go back to find the last first round white cornerback. And obviously, whenever you're talking about that, it's like, well, the thing that comes up is 
He's, he's not as good an athlete as these other guys. You know, that's the failing. That's why white guys aren't, aren't playing cornerback anymore. But you had a big thing on uh, the stock exchange, NFL stock exchange with Connor mm-hmm. Rogers, which I would encourage all of our listeners to go and listen to and download, where you were sketching out essentially his, not just his football uh, athletic accomplishments, but his athletic accomplishments across a variety of sports. Yeah, he was a 100-meter dash runner and he ran just over 11 seconds in the 100 meter dash so like not crazy fast but still really great athlete um I think he was a long jump state champion as well he owns his high school's uh most points scored in basketball and he is ahead of Harrison Barnes on the state's all-time scoring list for basketball he's a crazy basketball athlete Ryan our producer over at Stock Exchange found a old uh an old clip of him throwing down I think it's a windmill dunk like in game <laughs> in high school and it's like okay didn't think you had that in you buddy and then on the football field he played like every position he was like the punt returner the kick returner he was a corner he was a safety he played wide receiver he played quarterback like it's just he he is a he is such a natural athlete and no you're going to be able to find there's going to be faster corners in this class like we're going to get to the combine and i think the gene's going to test really well in a lot of areas but you're going to find some guys who are a little bit faster than him maybe a little bit quicker than him but it's the fact that he has that all-around nature to him as an athlete at a high level and then also the ball skills the catching ability i mean there are a couple of interceptions where this dude has where it's like are you the wide receiver here? Like, are you're the one, you're the one who's toe tapping it. Like you're the one who's perfect form catching it. And then you're running after the catch. All, all that to say, like he brings all of those regular cornerback traits to the table. And then you throw in the fact that he is without a doubt, the best run defending corner in this class. So you throw that in and you go, all right, well, he kind of has to be a first round corner at this point. He gives you takeaways. He's really high football IQ. He's got size. He's got great run defense ability as well. So, yes, you're going to hear people talk about, is he a safety? Is he a slot corner? Is he an outside corner? He can play all of them. I genuinely believe he could play all of them. And he's to me, he's a situational player where you could say in base formation where you only have two outside corners, he's playing outside corner on that on, on, on in, in that setup. And then if you've got to go to nickel, you kick him inside. You let him play nickel. He's both of those to me. So the fact that he is that kind of a chess piece defensive back, that's why I like him as CB1. Nice. Um, one last player to, to highlight before we, uh, we get out of here. Um, the Chiefs in Kuiper's mock and the Baltimore Ravens in Jeremiah's mock are drafting Troy Franklin, the wide receiver from Oregon, who a lot of people are, are very high on. And to drop a little bit of a spoiler – uh, Steve is currently working on the 2024 edition of "quote unquote" the model, and mm-hmm. says to me that the model, the initial run, the first draft of the model, loves Troy Franklin. So yeah, that- and and it should right, especially when you look at PFF data. Troy Franklin is at the top on a lot of these categories. He's got a really good receiving grade. He's got a good build. Um, but even when you get more into the nitty gritty of the film. He's got a variety of different releases. He knows how to get off press coverage. He's a good vertical threat. But something that is a major plus in his game is he is on the higher end of missed tackles forced after the catch. So when this guy catches the football, not only does he give you good yards after the catch speed, he also becomes a playmaker. There is so much added 
yardage that he is able to get because he is making you miss. He's not just, okay, I'm, I'm catching it, and now I'm running as fast as I can up the field or I'm trying to create space. No, he catches the football, and then he's looking around. He's like, all right, where is my most advantageous angle? Who do I need to make miss? Where do I need to get on the field? To me, Troy Franklin is just like a true playmaker. And here in these two drafts, Franklin is going towards the end of the draft. I could see him being a top 20 pick or maybe d- deserving of being a top 20 pick is the better way to put it. So uh, I can fully understand that that Steve's model loves Troy Franklin. Now, in honor of this uh, Baltimore pick at the end of the draft, we have a Baltimore-themed uh, offer for our good listeners here. Are you, you being a more of an Eastern Seaboard kind of person, Trev, are you familiar mm-hmm. with the good people of Jimmy's Famous Seafood? I, I am not. No, not. educate me, please. Oh, dude. Okay, so the offer we have for people, uh, using the promo code PFFNFLPOD gets you free shipping on anything over $125 at the good people uh, of Jimmy's Favorite Seafood. You go to there, jimmysfavoriteseafood.com. You get boxes of awesomeness shipped nationwide. Um, they specialize in crab cakes, right? And, you know, a lot of crab cakes, frankly, suck. They taste more of breadcrumbs and filler than crab. The Jimmy's crab cakes are basically crab, almost nothing else. I don't know what else is in the crab cakes, but it's almost entirely composed, as far as I can tell, of crab, if not entirely composed, and various other seasonings and stuff. They are amazing, and they're not even the best thing they make. They make these crab cake egg rolls things, which will change your freaking life if you get these things. Basically, crab cakes... Stuck into an egg roll, you know, cut horizontally or cut along the split. Uh, And those things are maybe the greatest food substance I've ever consumed in my entire life. Um, So you need to go to Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com. You also need to go to Jimmy's Famous Seafood, the restaurant and or the food truck. But for one week only, PFF NFL Pod uh, promo code will get you free shipping on anything over $125. And believe me when I tell you, there is more than $125 worth of goodness in Jimmy's, particularly if you are getting the crab cake egg rolls. You need those in your life. I'm in. As somebody who grew up in Florida and loves seafood. That's what I'm saying. I'm absolutely in. You've convinced me. I'm telling you. Hold on. The crab cakes are a different world from whatever you're picturing as crab cakes. And the egg rolls are like a level, several levels above the crab cakes. We are just pushing awesome into the stratosphere. So PFF NFL Pod gets you free shipping off any order uh, upwards of $125. And that is a special offer that runs out at the end of this week. So get on it now. Get it done. Get on the jimmies. And that's it for our show. Appreciate it very much, Trevor. Good, sir. Uh, Myself and Steve will be back tomorrow. And then I think Thursday. Ooh, I'm not sure. We have a special guest coming later in the week. We're not going to name names in case it collapses. Yeah, it's a teaser. People got to tune in to figure it out. In case it all collapses and we don't end up with a special guest. Um, But anyway, theoretically, he's a special guest. So that means the preview show might be on a different day. But we don't know yet. So, you know. Show back up and find out what the show is going to be tomorrow and the day after that. Thank you all for listening. Thank you very much, Trevor Sikama, for bringing us through those mock drafts today. Take it easy, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.